Hello, Scott Hamilton, Rockfile here with another year-end podcast. My top 19 favorite movies of 2019, with a few extra honorable mentions and one glaring omission. Was just discussing with a buddy of mine online that 2019 was a great year for art. Movies, music, albums, you know, uh, video games, TV shows. There were just so many choices. It takes a lot of creativity, a lot of imagination, a lot of talent to bring the wide variety of options we have in the 21st century. I'm starting to hear less and less the complaints that there's you know nothing new or there's nothing good because honestly, if you want to see a niche movie or a, a hear a niche album of something off the beaten path and weird, it's there. <laughs> you know there are TV shows that should in the past would have never gotten made movies that would have never gotten made albums that would have never gotten made there's so many opportunities to satisfy whatever whatever itch you have as far as media goes and i joined the amc a list this year and was able to see at least 3 movies a week for 22 bucks a month and i took full advantage of it once i joined in june i mean i've i've seen most of every movie that's been out that i wanted to see since that time and i'm going to continue in 2020 to do so not just for the podcast just because well it's cheap uh, 22 bucks to see 12 movies a month if i go to every you know every one i can but anyway the one glaring omission off the list is The Irishman. I'm just not a fan of mob movies. I think Martin Scorsese has made some of the greatest movies of all time. I don't think he's made anything I've liked in quite quite a long time. Matter of fact, I still have a, a bug in my crawl, if you will, over 2006's... Uh, all the acclaim he got for The Departed, which was a remake of an Asian film called Infernal Affairs that came out in 2002, and it's one of my favorite import movies of all time. Yes, it was rewritten. Yes, it was well acted. Yes, it was it was different in a way, but it was still a remake. I thought Hugo was boring as sin. I thought some of his other latest movies have been boring as sin. And as much as I love Al Pacino and Robert De Niro and even Joe Pesci, three and a half hours in a mob movie, it, just been there, done that. I love Godfather 1 and 2. I love Scarface. I love Goodfellas. I didn't really like Casino. And I don't really like most other mob movies. They bore me to tears. Seeing criminals deal with a, their code of ethics, it just... I'd rather watch Knights in Shining Armor. I'd rather watch Jedi. I'd rather watch, you know, a good drama, a good action movie, a good kids movie, a good sci-fi movie, a good fan... You know... I'm not the biggest fan of westerns, but I would watch a western over a mob movie any day. I just am not a fan of the genre. And there are people who will say, well, mob is just a genre to tell a story within. And I get that. I say the same thing when people say they don't like sci-fi. Well, sci-fi is just a genre to tell a story within. That being said, I like the trappings of sci-fi. I don't like the trappings of the mob movies. I just don't... I, they just don't move me. I, I don't care. Um, but anyway, I'm sure I will see it eventually. It's got some of my favorite actors. Martin Scorsese is a fantastic director. I'm not taking anything away from what he's done. But it just doesn't appear to be anything I have any interest in spending that much time watching. And I'm lucky that way. I'm not a reviewer that has to go see everything that's out. I see what I want to see. So anyway, that's why it's not on the list. There are four others not on the list because they just didn't quite make the cut. That includes How to Train Your Dragon Hidden World, 
which I don't think is getting enough acclaim. It wrapped up one of the greatest animated trilogies that there have ever been. All three movies are great. They're good for kids. They're good for adults. They're action-oriented. They tell good stories. They have good things to say. And this was a really good wrap-up. Was it as good as one and two? Not quite, but it was still... Some of the movies on this list got there because they shouldn't have made as good a movie as they did based on what came before. So How to Train Your Dragon this year, great. Not enough people are talking about it. Same thing with Toy Story 4. I thought Toy Story 3 ended things perfectly. We didn't need a 4. I thought it was going to be a cash grab. Turns out to be a great movie. Matter of fact, it almost made the list. It Toy Story 4 is a wonderful animated film. Completely surprised me with some new characters and some new situations I didn't expect. And okay, they, they proved their point. Please don't make a fifth one. I don't think they can do it again, but that's what I said after the third one. And 4 is great. Another honorable mention is Spider-Man Far From Home. It's a Marvel-Sony movie, and yes, it's action-oriented, and yes, it's it's over-the-top special effects-wise, but it's a really entertaining film that I've already watched more than once. It, it takes place in the aftermath of Avengers Endgame, and it tells a good story. It, it subverts the superhero genre to a certain extent in some ways, and I don't know, I, I, I just... A movie that thoroughly entertains me gets on the list or an honorable mention, even though it might not be an Academy Award-winning movie. I would rather clap and jump and cheer and enjoy myself than go, wow, that was a great camera shot and a great camera angle, and and, wow, they blocked that really well. I mean, I know how movies are made. I I was a a stage actor for a short period of time in my life. I, I understand acting. I understand how hard it is. I understand how hard it is to make a movie and have that translate to an entertaining experience. But again... I will take a bubblegum, action-oriented, thrill-me movie over something that's well-made but doesn't entertain me. That being said, there are a few on the list that I may not go back and watch a hundred times, but they're they're excellent, well-made movies that I also really enjoyed. The other honorable mention is Haunt. It was a tiny, low-budget horror movie that was a breath of fresh air in all the, amongst all the PG-13 horror movies we get these days. It was pretty hardcore. It was pretty dark and gritty. You didn't know if anybody was going to get out of it alive. It has a decent twist at the end. It was really well made for the amount of money they spent on it and the amount of talent they put into it. It 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 never got a Blu-ray release. It's it's on the streaming platforms. If you like a good gritty horror movie, Haunt was recommended to me. I think by Chris Stuckman on YouTube. Um, really good movie uh, for for a you know a. a a horror movie, a low-budget horror movie, it is what it is. The other aside to the list is I haven't seen some of the movies I really wanted to catch before the end of the year, and that includes Ford vs. Ferrari, Official Secrets, Jojo Rabbit, Marriage Story, Parasite, and Uncut Gems. I have not seen these movies, so they are not on the list. But I will see them probably this month. Anyway. Let's get to the list. This is my top 19 favorite movies of the year, of movies I sat in the theater and went, wow, when I walked out. Number 19, Midsommar. Ari Aster's follow-up to Heredity, which was one of my favorite horror movies of last year. 
It is one of the most beautifully filmed horror movies. It takes place in broad daylight in sunshine with beautiful backgrounds and beautiful people. And it just doesn't play like a horror movie. It, it's a good breakup movie. It does have a horrific beginning and a fairly horrific ending and some strange things that happen in the middle. It's not your typical horror movie. It, if it is closely related to anything, it's kind of like The Wicker Man. It, it, is, it is subversive as a horror movie and as, as a breakup movie. And it's well thought out. It was well made. I am actually holding out. Haven't picked it up on Blu-ray. It's on sale right now. Um, I'm holding out for a 4K release because it took Heredity a while to come to 4K, and I want to see the director's cut, which so far has been streaming only. But anyway, it's not everybody's cup of tea, but I thought it was one of the better movies I saw this year, and it stuck with me for a long time after the movie. That is the sign of a good movie. Number 18, just on his performance alone, Rocket Man. What a superb musical. And I'm not a fan of musicals, to be perfectly honest. Me being such a music guy, you would think. But anytime I'm watching a movie, they, they break into song. I can take that in a stage play in a musical, in Broadway, off-Broadway. I, that I can dig. But in a movie, it usually just takes me out of the experience. And all of a sudden, they cut to something they've sung in the studio, and it's all cleaned up, and it's great, and it just doesn't make sense. Whereas Rocket Man worked the songs and the lyrics into the narrative. When they broke into song, it continued the story from what they were saying and what they were doing. And I thought it was incredibly well made and tells a great story of a great artist who had some ups and downs in his life. And sure, some of it is overly dramatized, but it's a musical. And what a great job everybody did in the movie, singing his own vocals. They didn't dub Freddie Mercury. That's the difference between Rocket Man and Bohemian Rhapsody. Bohemian Rhapsody is a biopic. Rocket Man is a musical. And as such, it was a joy to watch. I saw it. It was my, I think it was the first movie I ever saw in a Dolby Cinema. So it looked great. And it's one I've picked up in 4K just because it's, even though it's got some dark and depressing parts, it's a joyous movie to watch. It's just, it's great art. So Rocket Man at number 18. Number 17, you might call it a guilty pleasure. But to me, if you can take a dumb and simple idea and make it really, really well and make it entertaining, You've got something there. And with Sam Raimi producing and Andre Aja directing Crawl at number 17, it's it's a silly killer crocodile movie. It takes place in Florida during a hurricane. It didn't do that great at the box office, but it should have. It is a tight 80 minutes. It is the good special effects, good acting, and it's just tightly wound. It's incredibly well made for what it is. They took a silly idea and made an intense, fun little movie to watch. I was thrilled to watch it in the theater. I meant to go back and see it a second time, and I did pick it up on Blu-ray. It should have gotten a 4K release. Um, but on Black Friday, it was cheap, and it's now in the collection because it's a movie I'll pull out and say, hey, let's watch, you know, let's watch a, a horror movie, something, you know, a monster movie. Crawl. If you missed it, check it out. That's my number 17. Number 16 looks like a martial arts movie when you see the trailers, it's called Shadow. It's more of a Shakespearean drama that has quite a bit of action and bloodshed towards the end of the movie. What an incredible, incredible looking movie. It was filmed, uh, everything is almost drained of color. It almost looks black and white with vivid flashes of color in certain costumes and blood and, and certain things, but 
it tells a very grandiose story uh, that's a very Shakespearean in nature with big characters and, and, and situations. And I wish I had seen it in the theater, but it was highly recommended when it came to 4K because it's a native 4K transfer, one of the rare native 4K movies we've gotten from Asia over here in this country. And it looks fantastic in 4K. It, it's stellar. Like I said, a lot of the movie looks almost black and white, but it, it's not. And it's just very muted colors where certain colors pop at certain times and it means something. It's great visual storytelling. Uh, it's got some great performances in it. I can't say enough good things about Shadows. It, it's my favorite import of the year. That being said, I haven't seen Parasite yet. I did read what it was about and I, I'm looking forward to it. But Shadow was amazing. At number 15... Jordan Peele's follow-up to Get Out, Us. This came out earlier in the year. A lot of people didn't take it to be the horror movie that it is. And it is. It's got some great kills, you know, as, as far as a, a slasher kind of horror movie goes. But there is so, so much depth and so many layers to Us. Looks great in 4K. It looked great in the theater. It gave you something to think about. So many horror movies are just on the surface. This is what they are. And this, if you gave more thought to what was going on behind it, and I don't want to give away the twists and all that, but if you give more thought to everything that was going on in the background and the history of it, and it, it just, there's a lot of stuff there to chew on, and we don't get that enough in modern movies. Now, on the flip side, that was number 15. At number 14 is a movie that doesn't have a whole lot to chew on, but it's a movie I went back and saw in the cinema three times, Hobbs and Shaw. Hobbs and Shaw comes in at number 14 because I think if you make an action movie that blows me away after all of the action movies of the 80s, 90s, and the early 21st century, it's really hard to do. This movie was dismissed as a Fast and Furious movie. It has nothing to do with Fast and Furious except for the two characters came out of the last few movies. And I'll be honest, I'm not a Fast and Furious fan. I own the movies. I thought the first one was a good car racing movie. The next three or four were just okay. And then at five, they started taking a turn, and six, seven, and eight just became big action movies. Really has nothing to do with the cars anymore. It's about the characters, and they're, they're almost superheroic secret agents. And anyway, they took two characters and plucked them out of that series and gave them their own movie. You've got the director of Deadpool and the original John Wick, and they took it to 11. It is an action movie on steroids with two not only endearing leads that have great chemistry, but great side characters too. I was blown away by the movie more than once, and it was just a thrill ride from beginning to end. It's a hair too long. I think it could have been trimmed just a little bit. They almost get too James Bond with it. But other than that, it is one of the best action movies of the 21st century, one of the best action movies of all time. Even though the ending does go way over the top, it fits the material, it the whole thing, and I can't wait for a second one. I would go see a second Hobbs and Shaw before I will watch any more Fast and Furious movies. I just, it was a blast. It really, really was. And at number 13, another one on that level, John Wick 3, Parabellum. It was a blast from start to finish. Better set pieces than the first two, more of them. It didn't grab me like the first two as much, 
but it still made this list because I was blown away by it, and I've seen it multiple times. Saw it a couple times in the theater, already watched it on 4K. It's fantabulous. Keanu Reeves has found a great role. It, it is an action movie that has a little more depth to it because there's a mythology behind all the assassins and the, and, and the high table and all that kind of stuff. And I can't wait for the fourth one. The way it ends, I just, I'm looking forward to more of the John Wick franchise. And I have a hard time saying that about most franchise movies. It's like when you get to three, it's usually okay. You've, you know, you really said all you can say, but I have faith. I think they can take this to yet another level. So at 13, John Wick 3. At number 12, a movie that was dismissed, but I'm sorry, Godzilla King of the Monsters is the best Godzilla movie ever made, at least the best one since the very, very first one. Growing up, I watched Godzilla with Raymond Burr, the black and white movie, and finally when I was older, it was after college, that I finally saw the original Japanese version, and that's a great film. Yeah, it's, it's a monster movie, but it has something to say. The rest of the Godzilla movies, the 20 or 20-some-odd, 30-some-odd that they've made over the years, are all basically cheesy movies that we wait for the last 20 minutes for some serious monster action in. Except for a couple of them. Uh, Destroy All Monsters had a, quite a bit of monster action. But anyway, people dismiss Godzilla King of the Monsters as, oh, it's a Godzilla movie. Yeah, really? <laughs> because it is nonstop action from beginning to end. People talk about, well, the characters are a little thin. I don't know. Did you watch any of the 60s and 70s Godzilla movies that I did? You talk about paper-thin characters and, and plot lines that go nowhere. This was actually a well-crafted movie killer special effects, a great soundtrack. It's certainly a demo disc for a home theater. And following up Kong, Skull Island with a movie that was even more, you know, when they rebooted Godzilla, I thought it was a, a well-made movie, but there just wasn't enough Godzilla in it. Well, the, the makers of the movie, the producers said, we're going to give you what you want. And they found a director who is a Godzilla geek. If you watch some of the extras on the Blu-ray, he just knows everything about Godzilla. And they made an incredible Godzilla movie that it ranks as a good movie is, is, is amazing. Because, again, the Godzilla movies of the 60s and 70s and 80s are pretty terrible movies that we watch just because we like to see guys in big suits destroy cities. And this was actually a good movie, an entertaining action movie with some killer giant monster kaiju action. So Godzilla, King of the Monsters, number 12 on my list. Number 11, I didn't think he could do it. I said that about The Last Jedi, or about The Force Awakens, that J.J. Abrams... You know, after tackling Star Trek and doing such a great job with Trek, how was he going to do Star Wars? And he is a huge Star Wars fan, and it shows. I thought The Force Awakens was a brilliant way to restart the final trilogy, to carry on the story. And I enjoyed The Last Jedi. I rewatched it recently, and I don't have the problems that everybody else does. The whole Princess Leia Force Save Me From Space thing still bothers me. But for the most part, it's a good movie. And I absolutely sat in the theater and loved The Rise of Skywalker. Didn't think they could pull it off, and they did. They surprised me. They entertained me. They had a couple of new characters, which I thought, it's, this is a little late after nine movies to still be introducing new people, but they were minor. And the special effects were fantastic. The storyline was great. It, it, people, I read today somebody complaining it's just not well written. Really? 
go back and watch the originals without the nostalgia that's attached. A New Hope changed my life at 11 years old in 1977 when I saw it in the theater. But I go back and watch it now, and it, it's it's quaint, and it's well-made, and it's and, and it's lovely. But it's based on old serials. It's based on swashbuckling-type films. And it was supposed to be, and it was supposed to be episodic, and it was supposed to continue on with a long story. So a lot of the complaints I read about The Rise of Skywalker are silly. It you have new filmmakers making based on this original vision. They sure pulled a lot of nostalgia out to do it, but jettisoned all the cheese. There was not any casino scenes like there was in The Last Jedi. There wasn't any Ewok scenes. Well, I mean, the Ewoks do appear, not to give away spoilers, but I mean, there were no scenes that were there just for to sell toys or for comic value. The movie moved fast. It's the fastest moving Star Wars movie there's been. I'm glad it's making all the money it's making. I'm glad it wrapped up the trilogy well. I'm glad it wrapped up the nine well. John Williams' score is great. I was thrilled with it, and that's why it's at number 11 on my list. Speaking of event cinema, at number 10, Avengers Endgame. This really wasn't going to make my list. I had watched it a couple times in the theater, watched it since, and then I watched it again the other night. It is a good movie. There are people saying, well, it's not a very good movie. It just continues Infinity War. No. It you know, if you're if you're fully invested in the Marvel movies that they tied together over 20 movies and all these characters and all these threads and all these storylines and went back to movies that we don't even like as much, like Thor Dark War. They revisited Thor, you know, too, and things like that, and made them mean something. And that my favorite superhero is hardly in the movie is saying something, and I still like this movie. I watched it again the other night, still teared up in the end. It still gets me in the feels. It It's still exciting to watch at three hours. Unbelievable. It I really didn't think they could do it. I loved Infinity War, and Endgame even topped that. And I don't think we will see another movie like Endgame anytime soon. It it took 20 movies to get there. It took tying all that stuff together. If they try something like that again, I don't know that they would be able to pull it off. But they really did on Endgame. It's the biggest box office hit of all time. It's made more money than any other movie, and deservedly so. It comes in at number 10 on my list. It's a great, great event cinema type movie. I was entertained and com- continued to be entertained. At number nine, a movie about loving movies, a movie that's in love with movies, Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. During the movie, I was underwhelmed yet entertained. I expected more Quentin Tarantino-esque action, which we get a lot of at the end. Um, I didn't expect it to be quite the love letter to movies that it really is, and that's totally what it is. It is a love letter to a period of time. It's got some great acting. I can't say enough about the acting. They pulled it off, and it, like Midsummer, is not a movie that I'm going to pull out any time and watch, but I will watch it more than once because it is such joyous filmmaking. It could have been trimmed a little bit. I do think it's it's one of Tarantino's most self-indulgent movies. That being said, I was thrilled with it. I was sitting in the theater going, you know, this isn't blowing me away, but I'm highly entertained. I'm, I'm just, I love watching a movie that loves being a movie. It, <laughs> I don't know how to describe it, but if you're a fan of movies and you haven't seen it, watch it. It just, it, it's in love with movie making. It's, it's got a lot of detail about the time period. 
it is a fantasy. That's why it's called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, because the ending does change history. That being said, it was very entertaining. It is a love letter to the movies, and me being a huge movie fan, I loved it. And number eight is Ad Astra. Thank you to the filmmakers for making an intelligent sci-fi movie that was in no hurry to tell its story. I am not the biggest fan of the slow burn, and, and I don't really consider Ad Astra a slow burn. It's punctuated by some great action scenes. But it's the story of a guy who's, who his heart rate doesn't raise when he's in the thick of it. He is seconds away from death and still you know, 80 beats per minute on his heart rate. And this is a guy who's got some daddy issues that he needs to sort out. He, he's got some conflict with some of his orders. And it has beautiful special effects. It is a story beautifully told. It's a, it's a bit Heart of Darkness by the end, and that's okay. It was not trying to be Star Wars or Avengers. It was trying to be an adult sci-fi movie. It's not 2001 A Space Odyssey, and it's not trying to be, although some of the space scenes kind of evoke that that slow-moving camera and, and taking everything in kind of a, 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 a bit of awe in watching it. But I thought it's one of Brad Pitt's greatest performances. It's very understated. He says a lot with his eyes. There's not an incredible amount of dialogue in this movie. But as a sci-fi fan who can appreciate something that's a little more intelligent, uh, Blade Runner 2049 is one of my favorite movies of all time. 2001 A Space Odyssey is one of my favorite movies of all time. Ad Astra is not quite up to the level of those two movies, but almost, and they were certainly shooting for it. I was very entertained. I watched it more than once in the theater. It is just a beautiful movie about a guy, and it's a great story. Ad Astra at number eight. Number seven, completely opposite. This is a movie that most people tossed out because, again, like Crawl, it's a simple idea executed incredibly well, ready or not, at number seven. It's a horror comedy about a woman who's marrying into a very wealthy family. They made their money off games. Not video games, but games, board games. And they have to play a game on the wedding night. She gets to pick a game out of this weird box, and whatever she picks, they play. Every once in a while in the history of the family, somebody picks hide-and-seek, and that's what they have to play. But hide-and-seek, they try and kill the bride <laughs> before morning. And there's more to the story. It didn't get bogged down in the more to the story mythology, but that's always in the background that there's a reason why they have to do this. But boy, is it executed well. It's got some great gore, some great kills. Samara Weaving is a revelation. She's just absolutely wonderful in the movie. It's got a great ending. The twist is good. You know, it it's definitely not an Academy Award winning film in any way, shape, or form, but it's so well done. The sets, the set design, the cinematography, it's a dark film, but looks great. A lot of candlelight, a lot of... It is... I had so much fun watching Ready or Not, it almost wound up higher on the list. It, I, it's just a really... A, why? 20th Century Fox and Disney, why did you not give it a 4K release? It would look spectacular in ultra-high definition, but the Blu-ray looks pretty good. At number six, I think this movie, it came out in January, so a lot of people even forgot about it. It's a great 4K that almost made my top 4K of the, list, uh, of the year list. Alita Battle Angel. This was a movie based on Japanese manga that was made into anime back in the day. I remember picking up the anime, which is about 80 minutes long, 
if that two 40-minute episodes, I believe, was the whole anime. I've read the manga, which is a little different. And yes, it's apples and oranges. You have an Americanized version of the character, an Americanized version of the story. But they did such a lovingly great job. Robert Rodriguez and James Cameron turned out to be a great pairing. James Cameron's getting a little bloated in his filmmaking, and I hope he does well with the the upcoming Avatar sequels. But he was the right guy to produce Alita, and Robert Rodriguez, arguably his best movie. It looks beautiful, plays great, it works on a level of just an action movie, sci-fi film, but it has layers, it... I really liked it more than I thought I would. And like I said, I'm a fan of the source material, and so I didn't go into it, oh, I'm going to hate this because they didn't do it right. No, I just, I went to the theater to see it and walked out applauding that it was just great and I want the sequel that we may not get. It didn't really make a whole lot of money. And it looks great on 4K. If you haven't seen Alita Battle Angel, give that thing a try. It is it is much better than it should be. It, it was a very entertaining, great story. At number five, we're getting to the meat of it now. This is one of those tiny little movies that most people didn't see. It was one of those that a lot of critics were recommending at the time. So I went to like a 4.30 show and I checked out Booksmart. It makes it number five on my list because I haven't felt this good about a high school teen comedy since Fast Times at Ridgemont High. It feels like a Fast Times for this generation. It feels real. It feels gritty. Sure, it's a little overblown towards the end, but that's okay. That's that's modern movie making. And I, I was just really thrilled with the characters, with the comedy. It's so funny. I've watched it more than once. It book smart. If you haven't seen it, lower your expectations and then watch it and see if, if they don't raise the bar. That it's just it's a very funny, very down to earth, and very heartfelt film. I really spectacular. Really enjoyed it. Coming in at number four, Ryan Johnson's Knives Out. Big fan of Agatha Christie, read the novels growing up, saw the movies, uh, you know, uh, Murder on the Orient Express, which I thought Kenneth Branagh did a good remake. Um, uh, I, I, big Agatha Christie fan, big whodunit fan. I love Death Trap. That was a great one. Um, and this is, on the surface, a great whodunit movie. It's a cast that you really couldn't buy these days. All A-listers in the cast. Just wow, what a great cast. They also do such a great job. It, and then it subverts the genre. When you when you get to the ending, you could rewatch the whole movie again, seeing it from a different way. It And Ryan Johnson's good at that. He subverted the time travel genre with Looper. He subverted Star Wars with The Last Jedi. And he really outdid himself. He obviously worked on this script quite some time. Uh, it, it's just a great script, well-directed, well-acted, well-produced. Uh, Knives Out is entertaining to just about anyone. The theater, I saw an advanced preview, and the theater was thrilled. It got applause like a Star Wars movie. I mean, people were thrilled with this movie and really enjoyed it. And I think you could show it to grandma. I think you could show it to teenagers. I think just about everybody would like Knives Out. I, number four on my list. Number three on the list is a movie that defied expectations like Star Wars. I I didn't think they could ever make a sequel to The Shining, but Dr. Sleep is amazing. I can't wait to watch it again. Matter of fact, they're adding 30 minutes. There's a director's cut on the upcoming Blu-ray that's coming out. But I saw it in the theater. Everybody liked it. 
I would arguably say it's better than the original Shining. I rewatched The Shining in 4K before I went to see Dr. Sleep, and it's still a great movie, but it's a cold movie. It's a it's a Kubrick movie, and, and not one of my... I mean, I do like it a lot, but it doesn't compare to, say, 2001 A Space Odyssey, which I think was a better movie. But again, Stanley Kubrick has a cool way of making movies, and The Shining is a classic, but... Dr. Sleep is a modern classic. I don't think it got enough acclaim. Uh, kudos to everybody involved. I just, it blew me away because it surprised me. I thought the trailers were good. I didn't read the book. I, I've stopped reading Stephen King around um, Under the Dome. And I, I should probably get back into Stephen King. I'm liking Joe Hill. I'm, I'm liking his son's work. So I, I never read the book. I didn't know what to expect. But I did, like I said, rewatch The Shining right before I saw it. Some people complain that the end of the movie kind of rehashes The Shining. But it's the sequel. <laughs> and it ends in the same Overlook Hotel. So sure, it kind of goes over the old... There's psychic stuff going on and history going on. And of course, it kind of rehashes a little bit of Shining. It's a sequel. That being said, everybody in the movie was fantastic. Um... I don't want to give away any spoilers, but I just, I was really surprised at how well Dr. Sleep came out and it stuck with me a long time after, and I can't wait to watch it again when it comes out on home video. It made it to number three on my list just for the sheer fact that not only did they make a sequel to The Shining, they made a damn good movie. It was really, really good. Number one and number two, I toyed with back and forth, um... One I was really looking forward to, one I wasn't looking forward to at all. And number two is Joker. I was not looking forward to this movie at all. The director had never made anything like this. It To me, it looked boring and dull. I could tell that they were following a Scorsese kind of thing, and we already had our Scorsese conversation. I just really wasn't looking forward to the movie at all. Ask any of my friends when we talked about movies coming out, they would go, oh, Joker looks great. And I'm like, no, it really doesn't look great to me. It's not what I want out of a superhero movie or a supervillain movie. And then I finally just I said, I have to go see it. I, and I went to one of the first showings. And not only was I blown away by Joaquin Phoenix's role, uh, performance, and I think he should win the Oscar. Uh, of all the movies I saw this year, he's up there with the two stars of my next movie. Um, he disappeared into the role like Heath Ledger disappeared into it in The Dark Knight, it, and even more so. It gives a great background to one of the all-time greatest villains. It made sense uh, on many levels. It, it's about violence. It's about trauma. It's 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 a really great movie on many levels and not one I thought I would go see again, but I did go see it a second time in the theater and was even more impressed with it the second time. And the fact that the ending kind of leaves things open-ended where you're not really sure if everything we saw was accurate or true. Um, I like that. I like a movie like that. I like a movie you can chew on and I didn't expect that from Joker. And wow, it, it truly is one of the best movies of the year. I really can't believe it's made a billion dollars. It's not a movie that I thought... It's not a movie... If my parents were still alive, I would not recommend they go see Joker. I, this is not one I would tell grandma to go see. And it's funny, one of my friends heard that in my review, and she has a grandma, and she said, well, I went to see it, and I liked it. Um, so that being said, I 
I was blown away by it because it, it was one of the biggest surprises of the year because I really had no interest in seeing it. I, I was not looking forward to it at all. And Joaquin Phoenix is a revelation in the movie. I, I hope he gets some other roles that he can sing. And he's made some good movies, but he disappeared into this role. And wow, enough said about the Joker. It's made a billion dollars. I'm sure you've seen it. It's number two. Number one is a movie not a lot of people saw. I, I saw... Uh, today on a year-end list that people were saying, not many people were talking about this movie when it came out. Really? (laughs) On YouTube, I couldn't get away from this movie when it was coming out. Number one is The Lighthouse. It is a black and white movie that tells the story of two guys in a lighthouse at the turn of the century. Like I said, it's filmed in black and white. It's got bars on the side because it's square. It shouldn't be something as entertaining as it is. It's even a slow burn, which is not my favorite kind of movie or TV show. I'm actually very, very tired of the slow burn, something that I have to sit there for an hour and a half and the last five minutes blow my mind. Okay, everybody's done that. Let's move on to something that's entertaining through the whole movie. This was entertaining through the whole movie, A, from a filmmaking standpoint. It is absolutely gorgeous. They built the sets. They built the lighthouse. It takes place on a real island. It was cold. It was wet. You can tell the actors are having a hard time. And Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson give the two best performances of the year. They disappear into these roles. If you have ever seen them in anything else, and I'm sure you've seen Willem Dafoe and other things, Robert Pattinson has completely put Twilight behind him. Um fantastic acting on both of their parts. Great directing from Robert Edgers. I'm one of those people who love The Witch. Witch is a slow burn, but it, my jaw was on the floor through most of the movie because it told a story realistically and how it got to the fantastical ending totally made sense within the mythology of the movie. And I just love The Witch. A lot of people are like, wow, that's, a, that's kind of a hard movie to watch. And, I, and yes, but it was so incredibly well done and so authentically filmed. It just looks like it's the period. Same thing with The Lighthouse. It You feel from the opening scene... Two guys are on the boat coming up to the island. You can tell it's the turn of the century. You can tell there's, you know, they don't have much technology. And you wonder what some of the things going on in their heads is going on. It's basically the story of two guys slowly going insane, I guess. I mean, it does have more layers. There's more going on in the movie, and it's kind of a horror movie by the end. But more than that, it's just, it's an acting tour de force, a directing tour de it. it Wow. I was just, I went, it was my first time going to an AMC dine-in theater where you can order actual food and they bring it to you and they have drinks and and waitresses. And I I had not experienced that before. And it's kind of a dingy little movie theater down uh, in Fort Lauderdale. But what an experience it was to sit there and, and eat food and watch this movie that was food for the mind. It is not something that everybody's gonna like. I know friends of mine watching it went, what the hell did I just watch? It's definitely one of those kind of movies. But for the acting and the filmmaking alone, far above anything else on the list, The Lighthouse just blew my mind that they took the time, the effort, the Herculean effort to bring these characters to life. Willem Dafoe, he's played hundreds of roles, and this is the best thing I've ever seen him in. Robert Pattinson, same thing. He's played a lot of movies, and the best thing I've ever seen him in. They deserve awards for this. So does Robert Edgar's The Lighthouse, my number one movie of the year. Like I said, not for everybody. It's one of those what-the-hell-did-I-just-watch kind of movies, but 
it, you won't forget it. It stuck with me for a long time. Can't wait to get it on home video. Doesn't seem like it's getting a 4K release. Don't know that 4K would even lend it. I mean, it's like I said, it's film box. It's black and white, you know, but it, it's a stunning movie on every turn. And it just, wow. I, still thinking about it, I get wet and cold. I just I just feel like I was in the lighthouse with those guys. The, that is my top 19 favorite movies of the year. It'd be interesting to hear your comments. Like I said, these are not the best movies of the year. These are the, the things I enjoy the most in the theater, the movies I will go back and watch again because I like them that much. I thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I, I'm glad you dig movies, too. If you'd like to discuss, put it in the comments or join me on Patreon. I have this uh, site where I haven't ramped up the private stuff yet because I only have a couple of supporters so far, but I have a private feed attached to that, and I'm going to do some question and answer stuff and some live stuff and some streaming things, and, and I'm going to get more into YouTube in 2020, so uh, definitely check out the Patreon page. The link is below. The list of movies is also below if you want to, you know, I... I I stray away from doing that usually in podcasts because I want people to listen to the podcast, but you need a reference to go back to and check it out. Of all the movies I saw this year, those are my 19 favorites. I would love to hear what you think. I'm Scott Hamilton. I'm Rockfile. The website is therockfile.com. Thank you so much for listening. (laughs) 